Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea. You're listening to the Passion for Dance podcast, where we talk about mindset, motivation, and resilience in dance. Today, I am back with Dr. Megan Vagpiz-Stellino to answer some of your questions about dance parents. If you missed part one, you can pause and go back to episode 115 if you'd like, but we had some great feedback and questions come in. So Dr. Megan graciously agreed to come back and share some more insights and advice on dealing with dance parents. We talk about getting our dancers to give full effort and that we have to help dancers and parents understand that effort and ability are not the same thing. Then we heard from two dance teachers who have different assessment of a dancer's ability than their parent does, and how do you deal with that conflict? And finally, Dr. Megan shares the three M's of sport parenting, which you can then share with your dance parents to help create a better working relationship. And because I'm always here to help make things a little simpler for you, I took a lot of the great advice that Dr. Megan shared and put it in a simple download you can grab right now. It's at chelseaparati.com slash parents, or in the show notes of this episode, the link will be right there as well. It's called how to be a mindful and supportive dance parent, which you can share with the dance parents in your life, and I'm sure it will be helpful. Okay, let's get to your questions about dance parents with Dr. Megan. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Dr. Megan. Welcome back. Hi, it's great to be back. I'm excited to have you. I had such great feedback after our first episode. So thank you again for willing to come back and take a deeper dive into some of these questions. Um, So I want to share a couple questions that uh, some of the audience sent in to me. And then after we answer those, I want to be sure I'm going to say it at the outset, but I remember (laughs) to go back to the three M's because we said we were going to do that and then ran out of time. So I want to make sure you get to share that as well, because I think they'll be super helpful. Perfect. Looking forward to it. All right. So the first one I want to share is uh, from Maria, and this is kind of what she had to say um, after our last conversation. Hi, Chelsea. This is Maria from the Peace Up Dance team. Hey, I'm listening to episode 115 on your podcast, the one about dance parents And you guys, I had to pause the episode and do a voice memo like immediately because you guys were talking about the assumption of effort in like children, athletes and dancers. And this is something that I am like so hugely interested in. And if there, if you have like any like readings or information or studies on this that I could like look into or follow up on, that would be amazing. Um, it's just like not even with peace up dance team, but at my studio, this is something that I've been, I've been seeing and been a part of where, you know, the teachers are trying to get the kids to try harder, give it your all exactly what you were saying in the podcast. And and I do think that these kids are being like putting forth the effort. And I just don't know how to articulate this. And I would just absolutely adore having 
any more information on this that you could provide, um, even, I don't know, if you just shoot me an email or something, <laughs> that'd be amazing. But um, loving the podcast. I'm going to go finish it now, and hopefully I will get to talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Bye-bye. Thanks, Maria. Um, I She's so right, this disconnect of effort, right, and understanding what we think it is, what they think it is, what the parents think it is. What are your thoughts listening to her? Yeah, it's it's such a huge topic and there's really some core elements for us all to understand about effort, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think some of the issue comes from the fact that while effort is technically in a person's control, right? So it's not like luck <laughs> or <laughs> skill, you know, natural talent. It's it's something that we can give or take. And then it gets really messy when we're looking at somebody else's effort. And particularly when it's adults looking at children's effort. So I, I think the first response I have to that without being too academic, is to realize that um, we don't often spell out what effort should look like. In other words, um, I'll give a personal example. I'm often accused of not trying hard because I've learned to tamp down that effort, right? Like, I don't want it to look like it's hard. So, you know, it maybe people think things come easily to me. So shifting back to, to how it looks in kids, we, we could stand to do a couple of things. At the outset, as adults, as parents, as teachers, as coaches, we can kind of hit that and, and create a teachable moment there where we spell out demonstrate (laughs) all the various permutations of what effort or lack thereof might really look like. We also should set expectations, right? So what is indicative of effort? What is indicative of a lack of effort? You know, kind of give maybe the extremes to help identify, you know, where the middle ground is. Um, So I I think when, when youth have an understanding of what's expected of effort, then it can parlay into them asking questions, right? So mm-hmm. if we never spell it out and we just say to them, you know, try harder, work harder, or it doesn't look like you're trying. Yeah. What we're doing is we're kind of attacking them and that puts them on the defensive and really puts them in a space where they, they don't know how to work with this like, quote unquote, controllable aspect of their endeavor. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The controllable piece is huge, I think. And maybe that's because I go there so often. I'm like, you know, control the controllables, you know, action, concentration, effort. Like those are the things you can work on. And I think what you were saying at the beginning of that, that effort, because we know it's controllable, we just assume you can like turn it up. (laughs) We assume you can just dig in and there's more in there. Exactly. Exactly. But that, that brings me actually to the second part of what I would add to this in, in order for teachers and parents and coaches to understand and really harness that effort that we want kids and students to be able to exemplify 
is that we have to tell them what it looks like so that they can make a decision, right? So within that control piece is this very loaded, you know, autonomy, <laughs> right? So we want dancers to have autonomy and choice and for them to feel an internal locus of control over this effort issue, right? So if they don't know what it looks like, we're we're ultimately taking their control away, right? We're telling them to get somewhere that they don't know where they're supposed to be. So their self-regulation is kind of, um, you know, they can't grasp it. It's not there for them to harness. If we tell them what effort looks like, if we tell them what effort doesn't look like, then what we do is we ultimately are satisfying some part of their basic psychological needs, right? We're yeah. giving them this choice um, with this entity effort that is presumably controllable. And then if they're not given it, <laughs> or if they are, we're now in a much better place to, to actually um, bring them to that space where they're satisfied, adults are satisfied, um, and they're really understanding and learning and developing something that's really essential in, in terms yeah. of achievement and pursuing extracurricular activities. Right. Because I think we, again, we assume that maybe there's just like this mental switch that you can just turn on. And if I'm watching a dancer and it looks like they're being lazy, right, then I feel like they should just work harder. Like they should just be able to find it. But it's, I'm basing that on actions that I'm seeing. I don't actually know what's going on in their head, right? But then the actions to me look like not a lot of effort, but maybe that's not what it looks like to them or what it feels like to them. So I think that defining piece is so interesting, like what it is and what it isn't so that you yes. can point to the behaviors of like, I don't know what you're thinking about or what's going on, but this is what I see being able to talk about if that's matching or not. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes effort ends up being a substitute for something else that we want as adults. Right. Mm. So I think, I think um, what I'll also pepper in is, is that it's developmental, yeah. right? So we know there's a lot of research that points to effort and ability are really one in the same early on in development. And then the older we get, the more cognitively mature, the more experience a person has, the more they differentiate effort and ability. And, mm -hmm. and as a result of that, what we know is that if you're more able, it means you had to put in less effort. And then this Think about what a conundrum, right? Where does that put the adolescent um, dancer, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good and that means I should be putting in less effort. And then coach is telling me put in more effort. Wait, yeah. so am I not good? And then where I think this all, you know, really in this very complicated way, what it pulls back to is sometimes what we want as coaches and parents is to see a different technique or a different skill. And effort is just our default, right? So it's not try harder, it's do some part of what you're doing differently. And then yeah. we can back off of how complicated that developmental piece of effort and ability ultimately being differentiated. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. Okay. I have to boil that down in my own head that yeah. when we're, especially when you're younger, that effort and ability are the same thing. So 
for a young child, that certainly makes sense, right? You're like, oh, well, if I'm just good at dance when I'm six, then that's just, it's fun. That's who I am. I'm good at it. I don't have to, you know, it's not about how hard I work at it. But right. then as we get older and we realize, no, those are very different things. Your, your technical abilities and your talent and how much effort you put forward are different. But if we've been taught effort and ability are the same, and then coach is saying, you're not giving me enough effort. The message is you're not good enough. Precisely. Wow. Yeah. So it's very complicated. I, I yeah. end up with this image of younger individuals when effort and ability are one and the same. When I go, when they go and they do, they are good and they are trying and they're one and the same, right? Like yeah. I'm going to do this leap and I did it. And, yeah. and again, there is no developmental differentiation between doing and maximum effort because by doing, they are efforting. Yeah. But as we develop, we start learning very, very profoundly that those who are better are so without having to try as hard. Yeah. And so then when we coach and we parent and we teach and we're like, where's your effort? It's like something's lost in the humanity of the experience because I shouldn't have to try hard if I'm good. And that's where I'm trying to pull in maybe an alternate mechanism of maybe it's shifting a technique, right? So yeah. do this, put your arm in a different way, bend your leg a little bit more, focus mm -hmm. on you know the thoughts that are running through your head instead of just all out effort. Yeah. Right. Oh, I think that's huge. And I was talking to some other dance teachers and we resonated with how much we just say like full out, I need full out. But yeah, like what about it is supposed to be full out? Like what are we not seeing and being more explicit about that? And because I do see that connection that that brings up all the fixed mindset stuff, right? The dancers that are like, it's always come easy. So now if I have to work hard, that must mean I'm not good enough. And right, right. But if all we're doing is yelling for more effort, that doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. And more effort can actually be a hot mess because <laughs> right. that full out may actually just be a disaster in mm -hmm. terms of executing a skill. Right. Or coordinating the the behavior that's supposed to emerge in success. Right. Yeah. Like right. full out effort, you know, I just think it's it's that our kind of thing. And yeah. that's not always what we really actually want, which you know, just leads to a lot of confusion for the the dancer, the performer, the athlete, right? Like yes. okay, now I have to dial that back. So I think some precision around development control, knowing what effort looks like and what it doesn't, and giving that autonomy back to the athlete with that clear picture could certainly shift this whole yeah. effort conversation. Okay. Thank you. I love that. Okay. I'm so glad Maria asked. Thank you, Maria, for sending that. Um, okay. So second one, um, there's an audio one, and then I'm going to read a little bit from a second person who also submitted. They're both talking about when there's a disconnect between what the coach and what the parent view as their child's ability, like they're not on the same page. So um, here's what the first one had to say. Hi, I have a parent that drives me nuts. Hmm. 
Sounds probably like a familiar story. Her daughter has potential, not as a ballet dancer, but musical theater. She has the passion, but the mother keeps pulling her out and saying she needs to have balance. She needs to not be here on this day and this day. And then of all things, she wanted to, to be at a certain level because it was cheaper. This girl is 16 years old and that's part of her mental maturity. She should not be a lower level dancer because mom wants it to be cheaper for her. Any suggestions about how to handle a mother who just keeps pushing for her daughter to have balance, who feels she has balance herself and wants to continue taking classes while the mother keeps pushing to diminish the hours that she's in the studio as well. Thank you. I have to say that when I first heard this one, I was like, wow. <laughs> and the, some of it is developmental. And I know you would be the first to advocate for like multiple sports and balance and all that for when you're really young, but when, and she's saying she's 16 and the parent actually wants her to do less and like hold back and not to be at a higher level. Um, I think the financial piece is kind of a whole other aspect of that, but just wanting to hold her back is, is interesting. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really complex, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And then, cause it's not usually that way. It's usually the other way where mm-hmm. the parent thinks the child is better than mm-hmm. the teacher does. And so I had another, um, this was a studio teacher who wrote in with kind of that more typical issue. And she said, I'm reaching out to see if you have any advice on how to address parents and kids that are upset about not being moved up in ballet. We have a couple kids who their best friend is in the more advanced class and they're the ones who are really eager to move up because it's about the friends. So mom is emailed asking why her daughter hasn't moved up. And the truth is she doesn't apply herself or work very hard. Like any tips on um, dealing with that parent. So it's the opposite, but I think maybe a similar approach to both issues where the coach and the parent don't view the child's ability is the same or like what level is appropriate. They see it differently. Yeah. Similar, but different, which is really complex. Right. (laughs) So a couple of things, I think for coaches and parents, I can't help but bring up the the need for allyship and really clear communication about just a few things. And Mm -hmm. in that short list, one of them is going to be criteria for whatever level of ballet, you know, what, what are the criteria? What is expected in a more general sense? So it Mm -hmm. doesn't feel specific because here's the, here's the, the angle on the the complexity is that parents are focused on their own kid. Coaches have to focus arguably on everybody's kids. Right. (laughs) And that's, that's like the apex of the challenge is they need to, you know, when I'm suggesting clear, clear criteria about this level of ballet, here are the prerequisites. Um, Mm -hmm. When these are met, then the next level can be considered. Or if these criteria are not met, then the level, a different level or different maybe class or style 
right? So mm-hmm. what are some alternates? But and that's where the work comes in. It's it's certainly unenviable because we don't always have there's a lot of gray area, right? So it's yeah. easy for me to say set clear criteria, but arguably that will help with these issues of like a lack of congruence between like, well, my, my kid is amazing. And mm-hmm. the, the coaches and the teachers, right? Like yeah. you all are hearing, or sorry, you're, you all are seeing a lot of variety and there's, there's also effort to not like, you know, put dancers and athletes in these defined boxes because they're so unique, but, but it's what we have to deal with. So I think that's that allyship. Like we're all working towards the same goal. We want them to advance. And so that, that goes to the audio one around balance, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we're not actually on the same page about working towards higher levels, more challenge, then perhaps this is not the right context. Maybe there's a recreational version or there's a different type of studio experience. But Mm -hmm. as that child is tracking, if the parent can't, you know, they want something that they can't get out of the situation. um, Yeah. As coaches, we know you can't demand that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I always tell coaches it's hard because a lot of these conversations when the parents come to you, like the one I was reading, it's really about somebody else's kid. Like the question is like, why is that kid in that class? Why doesn't Mike, you know, and I always say you have to stop it. I'm like, I don't discuss anyone else's child with some, with another parent. Like, just like I wouldn't talk about your child with somebody else's parent. This is about your child and let's stick there. But then, um, actually what you were saying makes me think about, um, one of your kind of tips about being a really good, um, a mindful, supportive dance parent, uh, which reminds me, we have a download for that. Everybody stick around and I will make sure you get that. Uh, but the first one you were talking about thinking, like having a conversation with parents and dancers about the why, like what's the purpose of a child's dance experience and the goals and of like, why are we here and why are we participating? Because I think some of this, when the parent and the coach don't see the same um, level, I think there may actually be a disconnect between the parent and the child and what dance is about or what they're trying to do. Yeah. Right. So there's the parent agenda and then there's the child agenda. And we know developmentally that that's really has its, um, you know, wonkiness, if you will, (laughs) also, right. Where, um, lots of parents, and I think this is really important for coaches, you know, coaches, you know this because you see kids of different ages. You maybe work with the same kids over time and you recognize it and you don't necessarily have to have that overt conversation. But I think some recognition and appreciation for the fact that parents don't necessarily see those changes as they're happening for their children. And so a huge tip is that um, initiating what I refer to sort of as a family mission, like what's the mission? What's, what's the purpose? What's the intention? And get some clarity around that. So really like focus the lens and then revisit <laughs> and revise mm-hmm. 
at some regular interval. Maybe that's per season, per year. And I think that the connection that coaches can have with parents around this is to actually initiate it, right? Like it might be time to reconnect with your kid on their, their why, like, do they mm-hmm. want the same things out of dance as they did last year? Do they want the same? Do they want to be doing the same style? Do they want to be engaged in the, at the same level? Do they want, you know, whose expectations are we running off of? Because right. I think a lot of parents these days, especially, they just, they're going to take one little nugget that their kid gives them. Like, I, I want to be at the highest possible level. And they say it in sort of a fleeting fashion without sometimes knowing how much work it's going to take. And the parent is like, yes, we, right? They're sort of we. like, now it's we, it's not the child. We're going to get there. And then right, that's where the coaches kind of, you know, end up in this situation of not knowing how to navigate the conversation, um, you know, yeah. with the parents. Yeah. Oh. I think that's such good advice. And I was just talking with some studio um, owners recently, and they were talking about these parent meetings that tend to happen in the summer when we're reevaluating what level are you in, how many competition routines are you in, and those conversations are happening. And then first making sure if a parent does request a meeting that the child is there. And I think child should be a part of this conversation. I think, right? You're nodding at me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So again, developmentally, but you know, some of this is going to go back to um, a lot of the parent issues are we don't necessarily as parents recognize the changes that are happening in our child. And Mm -hmm. we've, you know, we're headed towards that brass ring of, of accomplishment and achievement. And uh, we inadvertently do a lot of the talking for our own child, which is really a disservice to everybody who's involved because yeah. the extracurricular activity pursuits are a learning and, and developmental context where, of course, they should be there at any age, I would advocate. Yeah. Um, and any parent, you know, that that is the coach's, that's what an easy one to get out in front of, that any mm-hmm. conversation about the athlete or the dancer they need to be present because yes. whether they have the skills to talk for themselves yet, um, that that's something that adults can bring to the context, which is beautiful yeah. and necessary. Yeah. Well, like you were saying before, it's about giving them autonomy. And if they're not even in the room, then clearly there's no autonomy and no choice about what's happening. But I think the revisiting piece is interesting because we do, if a dancer at 10 years old said that I want to be a rockette, okay, great. Then this is where we're going. This is all we're going to do. And then all of a sudden the child is 14 and they're like, you know what? I don't really like tap. Maybe I really want to do hip hop or maybe I like, you know, something else in school and dance is just for fun now. Mm -hmm. And that shift was never discussed at home. And so we see the lack of effort in the studio and the parents are like, what's going on? Why isn't my kid better? Why aren't you teaching my kid enough? you know, and it comes back on the coach. So you have to have that revisit. What's the intention? What's the purpose? Yes. And, and normalizing that process is a benefit to everybody involved, right? Because it is absolutely 100% normal for, it's not changing their mind. It's growing and developing and Mm -hmm. with exposure and experience, 
again, normalizing that there might be a shift in the purpose, the intention, and, and then honing in on that with clarity is, can become a great foundation for yeah. the topic of effort, the where should my kid be, this is where I think the student should be, and having that conversation. I yeah. wanted to bring up one other piece that seems to be emerging from that last audio and um, especially the email that you read is um, aspects of motivation, right? So mm-hmm. the the social reasons are absolutely paramount, right? Yeah. It's, it's part of being human. We strive for that connection, that relatedness, belonging. And we also know that not only is being with friends, like was mentioned in the email by that, by that parent um, or a studio teacher, excuse me, being with friends is, is salient. It satisfies our need for relatedness. But I also want to point out that um, it's, it's not just a primary motive, but it increases in its significance at adolescence and really does tend to override what teachers think, what parents think. It doesn't mean those adults go away, but the significance of like, I just want to be with my friends really becomes everything for Mm -hmm. these dancers or for these athletes. And so it is, it's difficult, period. Right. When you can't be with their friends, we know from the research that what happens, they can't be with their friends, they might quit. And so recognizing that, oh, that's a huge challenge for coaches and teachers. Like, how do you how do you set it up when friends are not advancing at the same rate, like going up or, you know, not not hanging in there? Um, But I think recognizing that we know unequivocally the importance of being with friends as it relates to the pursuit of accomplishments and achievement. Maybe that helps, you know, for coaches to be able to say to parents, Hey, I get it. I know that your child being with their friends is, is so important. Here are the challenges that we're having because their group is ahead of them or their group is lagging behind. And so maybe then brainstorming. How can we find some spaces where kids of different levels can actually train together and satisfy Mm -hmm. that need for connection and relatedness? Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think it goes back to that ally conversation, but just saying like, I understand that this is a huge challenge and I'm not ignoring that. So let's work together to see like what, how can we make that fit within the constraints of what we truly have here um, and making it work? Yeah. And this now I'm putting my parent hat on and I was like, I need to have this purpose conversation with my husband and my son about lacrosse. <laughs> we were just having this conversation about what to do for the fall. And like, you know, even if we know, quote, we know what's right. And I know what I should do. And then yet I'm listening to you talk. And I'm like, so tonight's dinner conversation is going to be, yeah. what is the purpose of lacrosse in our family right now? And like, how has that changed? Because I think the, how has it changed part is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for dance, many of them start so young that by the time you're talking about high school, you've got 10 years and a, who knows how much money involved in this sport so that it's really hard to be honest about what's changed. But yeah. that's a huge part of the conversation. Yeah. The investment piece is 
is yeah, yeah <laughs> goes without saying. You know, and it's on the tips for being a mindful um, and supportive dance parent as well is is asking. That's a vulnerability of parents, and then being able to have that allyship with coaches and teachers and being able to share. But it's it's the asking the children what they want and. Second, and more importantly, is listening, right? Yeah. So it's it feels like a little bit of a turning of the tables where, right, as adults, we're like, hey, kiddos, listen. Like, we want them to listen to us. And that is a sign of being um, coachable, right? Mm-hmm. But I think we have some responsibility in the coaching and parenting side of things to actually be asking and listening. And then... Yeah forging ahead with, again, that purpose, intention, and clarity. And, and like we already said, asking, like, you don't just ask once (laughs) because a lot it's dynamic. And I think what we love about dance, what we love about sport is its dynamic nature. It's not stagnant. So we Mm -hmm. have to, we have to create communication and connection patterns that mirror that, that nature. Yes. Thank you. I love that. Okay. I want to make sure we get to these three M's of sport parenting. So will you share a little bit about like, what are the three M's and how can, you know, we, how can that help coaches and teachers? Yeah. So the three M's, it's just like a fun way to remember sort of the core roles that parents occupy. Um, So it boils a lot a lot like in big shouty capital letters, a lot down to something very simple. Um, In its complexity, parents' roles encompass being providers of experience, um, being role models, and being interpreters of experience. And, but that's kind of wordy and, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. very utilitarian. So the three M's, is just easier to remember and um, easier to really reflect on um, throughout the journey of, of parenting and extracurricular activities. So switching to the M's, the three M's are manager, model, and meaning maker. Um, okay. And so very simply, manager is the provider of experience. So it's all the management, right? It's, it's this studio, that style, this class, that location, right? It's opportunities, it's transportation, it's logistics. Um, yeah, it's a lot to harness, but it's a critical, critical role that youth don't get these experiences unless parents harness that first M of, of manager. Um, the second M is model. And so we hear this a lot, like role model. Um, and the origins of model being a model as a, as a key role is in also doing the activity so, so that children can see their parents actually doing what they're going to do. This has evolved um, and transformed in a lot of ways. So there's so many ways that parents can be a model. Um, How do parents advocate for themselves with others? How do they respond to challenge? How do they respond to success? 
Um, how do they take care of their own well-being? Um, how, what is their character, their integrity? Um, you know, how do they, what are their routines? So that list goes on. So, so yeah. second one is model. And then the third one is meaning maker. The, the third M is meaning maker. And it really is the interpreter of experiences and making meaning of those opportunities that are provided through that first M of management. Um, what does it mean to move up? What does it mean to fail? How can feedback be incorporated? So that ties nicely back to that asking and listening and sharing and um, really coming to understanding about experiences. So yeah, three M's. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. The, the meaning maker stands out to me so much because I think when parent or when a coach, like you said, maybe they, they make a coaching choice of your, this child is on JV or this child is not in this routine or they are in this routine um, or they're going to move up. And then the child takes that information home and is like going to hear from the parent one way or the other. Like, is this challenge an opportunity for growth or is this something we're going to go fight and complain and say is not okay? And what is it? Because does, is JV or is not moving up? Does that mean you're not good enough? Or is the parent going to have hopefully a more helpful, <laughs> meaningful interpretation of that? Um, but yeah, what a, like for a parent to notice, like, no, you can't control a coach's choice necessarily, but you can be a big part of what's the meaning of that in, in our context and how do we, how do we interpret that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's process oriented, right? So mm -hmm. manage, manage is, is like in the background, right? It's, it's, they're doing and the child, um, their, their child may not be actually witnessing that, but it's what makes everything happen. Right. So that's a key mm -hmm. role. The modeling is what, what their child bears witness to. Right. So it's actions yeah. that they're taking and beliefs that they're sharing and they're, they're, it's how they're experiencing. And then, yeah, I can agree more that the meaning maker is so profound because we know that lots of experiences can be interpreted in a wide variety of ways. And so that meaning maker role on the part of parents is really profound. And for the coaches out there listening to this, you know, that's, really a gun, a connecting point is that sometimes parents don't know how to make meaning of something that has been kind of handed to the family, if you will. And yeah. so that meaning making and a, a, a space for coaches to connect with parents is, you know, if you have questions about what this means, you and your child, you know, can come to me yeah. um, right. because it's so profound. And I think the parent default when they don't know that their role is to know. So what a, yeah. just a space that I don't even have words for it, right? You just lock up as a parent because you're like, I should make meaning of this. And we, you know, like, oh, it's a lesson learned. But at the same time, they're like, no, that actually stinks. And I'm pissed. And yeah. so where do they go with that? So the mm -hmm. making meaning, um, sometimes it does really stink, right? And yeah. we can make meaning of that. So again, it's that, how oh, that interpretation of experiences is, is really fluid and process and such, such an important role that I, I think a lot of parents are not quite um, brave enough. They're, it takes some courage to make those interpretations. Yeah. And I think that yeah. as coaches, we can empower them 
to interpret the experiences. Yeah. I think that's a good take home thought for coaches is to say sometimes, you know, if something happened, like maybe, you know, you didn't place as high as you thought, or, you know, judges, like, especially in the subjectivity of the dance world, judges are making choices and comments and it's coming back and you know that it could potentially be a problem, right? Then the parents are, like you just said, they're going to be stuck. Their kid is going to be upset or not. And the parent wants to help. So they're going to make up a meaning unless the coach is able to maybe help provide that. If the, if the parent, especially parents, I was going to say who don't know about dance, but some of the ones who do are actually (laughs) just as bad. Right. So, but yeah, providing them that meaning of like, this is how I'm interpreting these events and how, what I'm telling our dancers and how I see this. And can you like be an ally and support me in making this message happen at home? Precisely. Yeah. So I think so many good ideas and we mentioned a couple times these tips. So I just want to share for those of you listening, if you want uh, something concrete, uh, we wanted to give you kind of the the handout, the something you can give to the parents to help start this conversation and help uh, bring them on board. So uh, simple download, how to be a mindful and supportive dance parent. Uh, you'll find the link in the show notes and it's also at uh, chelseaparati.com slash 120. This is episode 120, which is crazy. Uh, but that Uh, tip sheet is there for you and hopefully something that you can give to parents and start this kind of conversation about how they can be a supportive dance parent. So thank you for providing that Dr. Megan and talking with me today. Um, Such good advice. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Yeah. Just an honor to be able to have this conversation with you and provide some tips and just really open the discussion because as I already mentioned, it's, it's dynamic and there's, yeah. it's such a rich opportunity for growth and development. So yeah. keep I leaning so in. <laughs> yes. Leaning in. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 